0: Welcome to Teaching Channel Talks. Every chance I get, I speak with expert educators about powerful issues in the education community. I'm your host, Wendy Amato, and I'm ready to explore several tremendous needs in our schools with a fellow educator who is addressing them. Andre Williams is my guest today. Not only does he bring nearly a decade of teaching experience to this conversation, he represents a fabulous combination of things you don't usually see together. I'm talking about art instruction, principal certification, diversity, equity, and inclusion work, and some very rich personal experiences. Andre, welcome.
1: Oh my goodness. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Truly honored and truly blessed.
0: The, the first time I met you, we were working together on uh, as an external review team for an accreditation. And, and, and we, we realized then, I think, that our expectations of education were high. We don't, we don't want to compromise and just have a, a, a system that pushes students through. We want to make sure that there's meaning in education. And that's who you are, too, I, I think.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Meaning education. Like, absolutely. Like, that's art. Everything is communication. You do need meaning. You need direction.
0: It's unusual to find someone with an art background and the kind of leadership that you bring to the school. How did that happen?
1: Um, I think, like many of us folks in education, we always tell the story how we just stumbled upon it. And I think for me, I've always had a passion for art, and it was weird because. As soon as I entered the education field, I think I was funneled to just try to do this leadership principle thing, because a lot of the men in education do that. And I never wanted that. I shied away from that. But I think as I progressed through the field and just saw what an impact could have on young people and systems in the building, um, it just became appetizing.
0: You and I are brown educators. That's a rare commodity in the system today. Yeah. What, what does that mean to you?
1: It means a lot. I've, oddly enough, I've had brown leaders, and I think that's the only way I see myself potentially, hopefully, prayerfully in that position one day. And, and I think that's what I want to do be in that leadership role and and I want to inspire the next generation or the next Andre or whoever is coming after me and I think in DEI I've had brown leaders Um, in principals I've had brown leaders early on my first school I taught at the school Normandy high school in St. Louis the school that Mike Brown that was wrongfully killed by police graduated from I had a brown leader there brown principal Derek Mitchell
0: there is a lot of work happening to recruit educators of color, people of color into, into schools and into leadership. What what does this mean for the students? I, I don't want to ask the obvious, but I think it also needs to be said.
1: I think I think it, it means a lot that there are systems and, and programs in place to pursue um, Black and Brown educators. I think that's important. Um, I think above all, no matter the school, you need the support to do the work. Um, so I, I do get nervous about the support and research, resources that these um, superiors, these, these leaders, these principals and superintendents have when they, when they go into these different schools and environments.
0: Support's a big question. You you have provided leadership in diversity, equity, and inclusion in the schools. Can you talk to me a little bit about workshops that you've led or induction programs that you've supervised to help new people coming into schools?
1: Yeah, actually, my first year at Sheridan, shout out to Jessica Donovan, like super supportive of my process. She allowed me to do this AISGSW program through independent schools um, for upcoming leaders. It's called Emerging Leaders. And from there, I just begin to get small opportunities to lead in my building, whether it be, um, you know, the first day of school working with new teachers or um, some type of workshop for parents, um, because I do quite a bit of that. Um, And then recently, last year, actually, I was able to do the SEED certification. And if you heard about SEED, it's a very intensive summer accreditation program that you go through so that you're equipped to go into your building to teach teachers about social justice. So SEED stands for Seeking Educational Equity Through Diversity. And it's an amazing, if you don't have SEED at your school, definitely jump on board. It's an amazing program.
0: Tell me about SEED, Seeking Educational Equity Through Diversity. What would would, uh, an event be like?
1: So the seed has different rules. It's not just, you know, you get up and talk, but it's a lot of pausing. It's a lot of reflecting. There's no rebuttal in seed. Everybody speaks from an eye perspective um, that kind of filters out any like arguing or opposing views through anything because we're all sharing our truth at the end of the day. Um, Seed is affirming. It's affirming all the different gender identities all the different um, socioeconomic groups in the building and we're all coming together as one, unpacking some things in our past, some identity strands in our past, some maybe just something that happened that day and, and it goes to a lot of head issues, heart issues, um, and extremely therapeutic.
0: Wow. If an educator wanted to invite Siege to become part of a program somewhere else, how, do, how does that happen?
1: I think it's super simple. You just hop on the SEED website. There's tons of leaders out there. Um, they're constantly having seminars across the country. And then those that do get certified, they go back and do a program called Reseed, which is kind of like a play on words. But um, they get more um, development and more equipment. So if you're interested, it's very easy to email the C organization and get connected. I know it's each year They have classes come in and they do um, workshops and recruitment. So it's, it's, it's a revolving door.
0: I believe there are a lot of really good educators with good intentions and even with time and energy to bring to diversity, equity, and inclusion, but they don't know how, or they're afraid of messing up. And I love hearing that there's a framework and a structure that there's a a place and organization where people can plug in and get what they need Absolutely. to do what they know needs to happen.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Well, speaking of things that need to happen, I know that you support students in expressing themselves and finding their voice, and that is a gift that you bring them through art. What kinds of arts do you um, help educate students around?
1: I think for art teachers, you got to do it all. Frame-making, there's a lot of different mediums out there that my kids go through, and I try to challenge them. I, I try to push the envelope quite a bit, no matter the grade. Like I have fifth graders doing eighth grade work. I like to mix it up. And some kids, they need, it's, different, it's differentiated learning. You have to basically meet the child where they're at. And I'm, I'm heavily invested in digital art. And at my school, we didn't have digital art. So again, shout out to the leadership the leadership team at my school. We were able to get a bunch of iPads and the kids are very excited about Procreate, Apple devices. And being able to create and everything is digitalized, right? With NFTs and non fungible tokens and all that stuff.
0: Andre, I want to switch topics and ask you about a vocabulary word that I've seen you use on social media, and that is artivism. Mm. Define that and give me some examples.
1: So I'm, I'm going to be honest. I saw this word through another artivist. I cannot think of his name, it was through social media he's a digital artist and he's been creating like I saw something that he created for the Frederick Douglass Foundation um, and I was very 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 inspired and I I saw what he was doing and looked at that and I saw myself in it because he was creating art based on people that were wrongly wrongly accused of a crime and, and brutally murdered by police He was creating art of, he was basically talking about social issues that I was already doing through my art. So a light bulb came off and said, wow, I'm an artivist and I didn't know it. So that's when I began to just kind of press the envelope a little more in my art and in my practice and actually pursue opportunities to speak at schools. And so far I've done two school engagements um, to talk about artivism and it's been phenomenal.
0: To define it for me.
1: Okay. So basically, it's the two words combined activism and art. So it's through your art, you're bridging a social justice. Um, And we've actually, I've actually taught a unit about this in my middle school. Um, What are some issues in this world that trigger you? What are some issues in this world, whether it be women's rights, whether it be um lgbtqi plus issues what is something that you're passionate about and how can you create art about it and send a message and and communicate a message to those that may not know maybe you're just trying to educate maybe you're trying to change a policy so i think in your artwork you have to figure out your direction you have to figure out your audience and then you have to create based on that passion that triggers you because through our triggers through our frustrations we can make change
0: I like the opportunity to choose a topic because you may find that students are expressing something about themselves or someone that they love. Uh, They simply may be experiencing an opportunity to talk about a value that they have and create a message to share that value. That's a big deal, especially working with students who are at that age where finding voice is a big deal.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, middle school for sure. Even like, you know, they're thinking about um our environment. You know, Greta Thunberg mm-hmm. was a is a young person. And her story is, you know, you can attach your identity to that as a middle school kid and figure out ways to change the environment through art.
0: Andre, you are an artist. Tell me about easy yoke art.
1: Yes. So easy yoke art. First, I'll just tell you what it means really quickly. Um, it plays on a Bible scripture that talks about our burdens are light, yoke is easy. And for me, um, I, I feel like I, everything in life is not going to be easy. Like, let's get that straight. But I feel like when you're in purpose, I feel like opportunities will come and the pathway will be made to be easy. You just have to follow your purpose and your passions. Um, and it's it's an art, it's an art business. Um, I do tons of commissions, a lot of logos, but it's really what I want to create. Um, But I think it's categorized in many different things because I technically don't have an art style, but I love different mediums. So you're going to see social justice. You're going to see weird, crazy animations that I'm making. You're going to even see some 3D modeling kind of geared towards NFTs. But um, for me, it's just like a a, um, workshop of art
0: when you said, when you are in purpose, work, mm. work is easier. Is that is that a sense of calling? Is it about getting flow? When you when you lose track of time, your worries disappear, and you are just present in the moment, what does it mean to be in purpose?
1: Yeah, I, feel, I just feel like all of us have a thumbprint, and, and what that means is that we have a, a special... Um, we have something unique about us that only we have and that only we're supposed to do in this earth. This this is what I believe. And I believe whether for me, if that's me with kids, spending time with kids and and building um, their artistic expression linked to their identity and their passions, if that's you build the next Tesla, like you have something unique in you. Um, And I think through our journey, we can build our thumbprint, we can build our purpose through our uniqueness
0: yeah being in in purpose means you you can't deny
1: nah.
0: what you're supposed to be doing
1: yeah like you LeBron, can try to I'm ignore it like, for a minute <laughs> yeah these athletes I look at them like LeBron he's walking around and I'm like bro you, you should be playing basketball <laughs> like, <laughs> like come on
0: <laughs> it's easy to see in other people when they're not in purpose when they haven't addressed what they need to do it's easier yeah. to see it in other people. Sometimes it's hard to see it in ourselves.
1: I agree. That's why we need each other. It's a community. We, we have to uh, latch on to each other and walk each other through, like you've been doing for me. You know what I mean? We've met each other on a small occasion, and it's been awesome, so I appreciate that
0: nice. There are a lot of educators who are asked to develop curriculum that's that's a cross-content area. I want to talk to you about cross-curricular education because it is an area of expertise for you. You have experience in it. You promote it through your program. What does it mean to you and how does somebody get started aside from being told they need to do it?
1: In order to build the mind of these young people, they need to look at their classes and their and what they're learning in class and they got to make connections. And that's what happens when teachers partner together and help make those connections. So if I'm in art and we're learning about the Byzantine, Byzantine empire, and all of a sudden that's connected to social studies and they're making these links and they get these visuals, the aha moments are gonna be quick and they're gonna be vast. So I think with cross-curricular, um, it's mandatory at my school that we collaborate with other teachers and build these bridges. I've done, um, I've done units with the Spanish teacher on identity um, through different languages and connecting that to self-portraits. So, I mean, I think there's a ton you can do. Um, I'm assuming that every school is doing cross-curricular um, because it's just you're going to get a deeper, children get children receive a better understanding of the content when they're able to be in multiple classes, kind of saying the same thing, but hitting it in different direction.
0: Mm-hmm. It makes a through line in their studies. There's something yeah. that can connect the pieces. I feel like Teachers are expected to do it. And I feel like it's way more commonplace, like cross-curricular connections is more commonplace in elementary programs. But then we get into middle school and high school where people start to think that they teach subject matter more than they teach people and they isolate. And and Mm so it it almost seems like it's perfunctory or mechanical when when teachers are working together. I want it to be meaningful.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I think the kids actually have more fun when they can make those connections. Um, and it it brings them out of that traditional classroom rigor element and they're able to look top down perspective and see the broader picture. Um, it's It's never one thing, but it's a multiplicity of things. So, yeah.
0: It sounded like you described yourself as stumbling into leadership but I, I just got to push back against that a little bit. I I don't <laughs> think you stumbled into it. I think you you rose into it. Mm, how do, okay. How do you define being an influence in your school? What does it mean to you to have leadership? And think about colleagues, think about your students, think about administrators.
1: Yeah, I feel like the administrators, they kind of say like we're all leaders And I think that's sometimes hard for me to um, accept because a leader's what? They have titles, they have badges, they have offices, they have all these perks. And it's like, in actuality, like we are all leaders in our own right. And if we want to, you know, continue to get those promotions and opportunities, like we have to lead in the spaces that we're given. So I think for me, um, I just try to do my best in in the art department and let that kind of trickle and roll over to other opportunities that kind of present itself. Um, So leadership looks like a lot of different things in my building, whether, you know, leading the advisory program. I mean, all middle school teachers are called to have an advisory. Um, Obviously, leading your your own classroom and your content matter, matter, and then kind of branching out and seeing what are some other holes in our school that maybe not everybody wanna do, but you have the opportunity to do. whether it's sports related. Um, I coach sports. I love sports. Um, that's been actually a great asset for me is to spend time with kids outside of that classroom setting. Um, How
0: often do you get an art teacher who's also a coach?
1: I haven't seen a lot you, of You're them. a unicorn. I will say I will say, <laughs> I will say that. I haven't seen a lot of them.
0: I love that you said lead in the space you are given, and I hope that every teacher who hears this conversation starts calling the classroom their office.
1: (laughs) Come on, everyone, come on,
0: get a seat, get a seat in my office.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, yes.
0: We can make change happen. Sometimes it's a mindset shift.
1: It is, it is. I think you have to see your circle of influence and You just
0: got to live there. Andre, time goes too quickly when I speak with you. I want to bring it in for a landing by asking if you have advice for the next crop of teachers that are coming into the schools, what would you like to see magnified and amplified in the next wave of teachers joining us in the field?
1: I think that if you get in this field, if you get in this line of work, you have to be selfless. And you have to give up yourself for the betterment of the people around you, which are the kids. You know, it's okay to be passionate about what you're passionate about. But if it's not geared towards what's best for the kids, I think even our passions can get lost in some things. So
0: you bring sincere consideration to your work. You practice what you preach. You are selfless and I can see that you're always thinking about what's best for the students. So, so thank you for modeling that. It's clear that you teach wholeheartedly. You're all in and you Absolutely. engage deeply in your work. In fact, I think there's probably a, just a very blurry line between what is work and what is living for you. You are the same person in all spaces and that brings an authenticity to everything. Absolutely. I appreciate Good educators connect with one another and they stay in <laughs> touch. That's an important thing. I'm glad we could share our conversation with educators across the country and around the world. It's really nice. Mm. To uh, fellow educators out there, I want to thank you all for joining us for this conversation. You can find links to topics that Andre and I discussed down in the show notes or at teachingchannel.com/podcast. If you leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast listening app you use, it will help more educators to find us, and we care about that. I'll see you soon with another episode. Thanks for listening.